What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey everyone, welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host Eric, alongside with expert analyst Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey everybody, it's Eric alongside Rod. We're here with our second Purdue preview. This time the Spartans will head down to West Lafayette Sunday afternoon in the big CBS game. Uh, before we begin, I just want to thank a couple people. Uh, first, Tim Wiggins, who gave us a one-time gift via PayPal. Very generous. Thank you so much, Tim. That really helps us promote the show, keep things running, pay for all this stuff. And, uh, you know, that support is really, I can't tell you enough how much it means to us. Also, a new Patreon supporter, Monty Schweitz, uh, Scott Skyle supporter. Thank you so much. And if you like the show and think it's pretty awesome and like what we're doing and appreciate the content, please go to thefinalforcenotontheschedule.com slash support, or if you're lazy, tffinots.com slash support. Uh, there you can find ways to support either one-time gifts or via pay- Patreon on a monthly basis. You can also, of course, support our sponsor, Nudge Printing. Gabe and Brittany, MSU grads, they were both working jobs for uh, a while. They kind of got into the printing business kind of on the side as most of these things start and then eventually decided to bite the bullet and open their own print shop and start making their own shirts or not shirts, but I guess the printing process itself and um, never looked back since then. They've, they have all kinds of officially licensed gear and they're one of, it's pretty unique because most printing houses do not have these vintage uh, licenses with Michigan state like Tuck Cummins. I don't think many people or many companies have that ability to print those besides like, you know, the student bookstore or um, like Nike or probably just Nike is my guess. And so they can get some unique things you can't get elsewhere. And so, um, you know, I check out their stuff. And as we mentioned before, you know, high quality, good printing, nice, soft, very wearable, breathable sort of clothing, all kinds of other schools, both Michigan schools outside of the University of Michigan and things, schools all across the country. I think they're like 60 schools total. Uh, Listeners to the show can get 20% off their order by going to nudgeprinting.com and uh, typing in Final Four in the coupon code at checkout. And you can also soon get to uh, Nudge Printing through our website, but that is mm, a couple of days away. So <laughs> maybe the next time you, you listen to this, we'll have that set up. So again, check out Nudge Printing because they support us. If you want to help support the show, it's a great way to support the show. All right. So Michigan State played Purdue two weeks ago. I think it wasn't long ago. Yeah, two weeks. Yeah. Back in the Breslin Center, a game that, you know, as with any game, that's one point, you know, one thing here, there, and you can... Uh-huh. Uh, it will, it will be the almost outcome. two weeks. Prior. It was a great yeah. game. And the Boilermakers are the, uh, I don't know if they're the Badgers of this season, but 
they seem to win every close game right now, yeah. which, you know, is a credit to them to making the shots and plays. And, and in many cases, they have made the shots to and the big shots, especially if, like from freshmen like Fletcher Lawyer. So it's been pretty impressive in that sense. But they've shown uh, a level of, well, they're not invincible. And so they have, they're, they're beatable, I guess. They're 20 and one on the season, number one in the country, nine, nine and one in the Big Ten with a huge lead in the, towards the Big Ten championship, barring a meltdown or some major injury. It's kind of hard to imagine them not being, you know, at least at worst tied for first. They barely beat Michigan, but they're number five and Ken Palm. Enter Monday's game with the fourth-ranked offense in the nation in terms of efficiency. They're number 17th on defense. Uh, so on offense, they're number four offensive rebounding team. I can't imagine why it couldn't be the seven-foot-four center, right? Uh, they're the 74th in turnover percentage, so they do turn the ball over a little bit, and they're down quite a bit since Michigan State played them last. They're 48th in two-point percentage and 23rd from the line at 77%, and they get a lot of free-throw attempts too, probably because of Edie. They don't shoot the three well, which is different for Purdue teams recently. Uh, they only shoot 32.9%, which ranks them 223rd nationally. And defense, they've been good almost entirely through Matt Painter's career. Last year, they were terrible when they had probably the most amazing offense and I think a team that we thought was going to go a long ways. And this year, they're kind of back to the way they usually are. They're 42 against twos and number 20th against threes. Good defensive rebounding team at 25th, and they don't foul anyone. As has been <laughs> talked about many times, that Zach Eady has, what, 32 fouls in 22, 20 games or something like that this season? Pretty remarkable. Uh, and you can make of that what you will. He's, he's averaging less than two fouls a game on the season. And, and look, if you've seen Zach Eady play, come on. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> Good poster on the Spartan Mag board. Uh, Rook has got a post up where he's keeping track of the fouls that Zach Eady is accumulating to date in the season, and it's not moving very much. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, Purdue has largely overall stayed pretty steady from where they were two weeks ago, which isn't that long ago, but they've actually played a few games in that period. So some things have changed. Um, Offensively, they were the number one offense in the country when MSU saw them last, the number four now. And I think most of that drop, which is not substantial, but it is a drop, is down to turnovers. They've gone from 50th in the country in turnover percentage to 74th in a couple of weeks. So that tells the story, right? You have that kind of drop. It's, it's largely going to be because you've had some poor performances in that area. And they have, they've struggled with turnovers. Um, otherwise it's staying pretty consistent. They were a very good offensive rebounding team before they still are. Um, they shoot the two very well. They still, they shoot free throws very well. They still don't shoot the three well at all. That's the one big fly in the offensive ointment for Purdue is their three point shooting is substandard both overall and for what we're used to seeing from Purdue teams. On the flip side, their defense has gone from 30th when MSU saw them the last time to 17th. And they're pretty good across the board. I mean, the only thing they don't do reasonably well is they don't force a lot of turnovers. They're just not that kind of defense. Uh, but otherwise, they're rock solid. You know, um, I think part of it, 
is that because there are things to exploit despite their ranking defensively. We've talked, we talked about it before the last one. Um, their guards are not super quick. And with Edie, although he presents a problem around the rim, not even just the shots he blocks, but the shots he discourages or affects, even if right. he's not getting credited for a block. But the flip side of that is he's largely immobile. So if you can get him in a pick and roll, he's not going to come out aggressively hedge or, or take the, uh, the guard, the ball handler and be able to do anything with him. He's going to play drop coverage because it's really the only option they have with his lack of mobility. And so what that does is that should present open looks. And in the first game for Michigan state, they hit some, I mean, Tyson Walker had a career, an MSU career day at least. Um, but MSU as a team just couldn't hit quite enough of those shots. And I think that's got a lot to do with Purdue's success this year. They've been a little bit fortunate and then a little bit, uh, let's say not every team is comfortable or has guys who are comfortable hitting, say the 15 to 18 foot jumper. You know, right. that mid-range in-between game it has become a lost art to a lot of programs. It's not a lost art for MSU, but it is for a lot of programs. And I think that has that has positively it had a positive effect for Purdue defensively is that they give that shot up, but they're not playing a lot of teams who have guys that are comfortable taking that shot. And so it likely sure. results in a lot of misses or just a lot of possessions where guys aren't comfortable taking it. So they don't, the possession goes longer and they end up with a worse shot. You know, the, to me, the key to beating Purdue is you have to punish them with what they give you because they will give you some stuff, but by and large, you know, this is a team whose profile at both ends of the floor. When you're the number four offense, the number 17 defense, you should feel pretty good about yourself. You're very balanced. And that is yeah. what you look for in terms of a profile for a team that can do damage. And Purdue would certainly be a team that most people would bet on doing damage at this point in March. Um, I'm not convinced. And it's, it's not so much that I think Purdue's awful because they're not, but this is just such a weird year that you can even have the statistical profile Purdue has, and I'm, it's still not convincing to me that you're great. I think they're good, but I think they're vulnerable. And you mentioned it. Give them credit for winning all those close games, all those games that you look at and say, oh, they probably did play as well as the team that lost. Um, because that's it matters. The, ultimately, what matters most in this stuff is not all the stats we toss out there. What matters most is how many numbers you got in the W column and how many you've got in the L column. And Purdue's piling up a lot on the left-hand side of the ledger, which is where you want to be. Yeah. Um, but they're not convincing. When you look at teams that win the Big Ten, and especially teams that as Purdue is on track to do, win the Big Ten by multiple games, like decisively win it. 
usually those teams are winning. I'm not saying they're winning every game easily, but they're winning a lot of games easily. This Purdue team isn't doing that. They don't have a lot of laughers, at least not yet. And so I think that's telling. I think it, you give them credit for, as you said, finding ways to make winning plays at the end. That matters too. It absolutely does. I don't mean to be dismissive of them, but this is not a juggernaut. It's just not. And, you know, what that's going to mean ultimately for Purdue when it really counts in the tournament remains to be seen. But I, I am, I am certainly suspicious of their bona fides as a one seed type team. That said, I'm suspicious of every team in the country's bona fides that way. So they're not alone. I mean, really, people want to talk. People, what, two weeks ago, were talking about Kansas and, oh, they look like they're on track to maybe repeat. And they've lost three in a row because they've got yeah, vulnerabilities. Right. They have no size for starters. Mm-hmm. Um, Houston, very tough team. They play at a weak league, so they're not really getting tested very well, in my opinion. And offensively, they're inconsistent. Even Alabama, they're the team that probably has the most impressive profile to me to date between the statistics and the eye test. But because of the way they play, one bad day from three could sink them. Absolutely. And that will happen. It will happen at some point. So you know, Purdue's not alone. I'm not trying to slag them off. I think they're, I think they're very good, but they're not great. And, and that means that if you're Michigan state, you should be going into this game thinking that you've got a chance, even though historically that is a, an awful building to try and get a win in. Yeah. So, I mean, they're, they're definitely a team that can be beaten, but let's look at the history or maybe we shouldn't look at the history, but let's start with the, when's the, do you remember the last time you should say one, I had to look it up because it was so long ago. I could barely remember 2013, 2014 season. Wow. When they won 94, 79. That's the last time you should wow. say has won West Lafayette. I didn't think it was quite that long ago, but now that I, now that I think about it, I can remember the Denzel team losing. So that was okay. So that was Adrian Payne's senior year. Yeah, they won. They won big. By that 15. was Gary yeah, that was, on the team that was then. when Purdue, I, I mentioned, I think I mentioned this on a podcast the other day that uh, I think, mm-hmm people have forgotten and Purdue fans definitely, I think want to forget there was this weird period. And that year would have been in the midst of it where it, it looked like Matt Painter was actually going to take the Missouri job. He was going to leave his alma mater. And it was a combination of them hit skids a little bit and him feeling that he wasn't appreciated enough. As I recall, I'm working from memory, but that's what I seem to recall was the problem. Like I want to say it was things like, they weren't providing enough in the way of resources to pay his assistants or you know, recruiting budget. It was stuff like that. And the fact that he'd had a couple of down years. So that season I'm almost certain would have been in the midst of that brief downturn period for them. Yeah. That, that was actually the third in a row win in West Lafayette for Michigan state. They won in 11, 12, 12. Uh, yeah. So 11, Draymond 12, senior year and then 12, 13 the and 13, years. 14. Yeah. Yeah. They had and that 13, 14, they had 17, three pointers. Wow. <laughs> uh, since then, Michigan state has won five times in three, six, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13. So they went 
three times, four times the last 13 matches since then. Uh, so it's, you know, Purdue's been tough <laughs> to say at least. And it hasn't really mattered how good Purdue has been. There, there's been, there've been a couple of times during that stretch where Purdue has not had great teams and yet they've still managed to, I just think back to Cassius's senior year, Purdue was very mediocre. They were, they were not on track. If I remember correctly, they were not on track to be a tournament team. The odds I believe were against them getting in barring a miracle big 10 tournament run. And yet they absolutely handled Michigan state in West Lafayette. It's just, it's one of those places historically. Now people it should be reminded with all this talk about how tough it is. And it is the game more than any other that you can rightly point to and say, this is where Tom Izzo's program began to really launch was a game in West Lafayette in 1997, the 97-98 season. They played one of those, I think it was right before New Year's Eve, um, was when the Big Ten first started going to edging some games into December. And Purdue had a very good team. In fact, they would tie Michigan State, as I remember, for the, uh, I think, for the regular season title that year in the league. And um, Michigan State went in there and took them out. And that kind of yeah. announced the arrival of Tom Izzo's program. So Michigan State has had moments of success there. It's just been fewer of them than in any other building. <laughs> well, I mean, you look at you look at the programs, right, in, in the Big Ten, and what have been the most reliably steady, good programs for the last 25 years? Well, it's pretty much Michigan State, Purdue. I suppose you could throw Wisconsin yes. there too as well. And so nat- naturally you're going to have trouble playing in their, in their, uh, on their court. Home I court. would say if you're looking at a 25 year, uh, horizon, those would be your top three. I haven't gone through the one loss total, but it would, it would surprise me. The only other program that I would think would have a shot to edge in there might be Ohio state. Um, but, uh, but I think Ohio mm-hmm. state's had maybe a few more lean years than any of those other programs that we mentioned. So you're right. When you're talking about that level of performance, you're probably not going to have a lot of success. I, I I haven't looked it up, but I would I would guess that Purdue hasn't won a ton of times at Breslin over that period either. They've won some recently, but um, like the last couple, I'm sorry, two of the last three, um, but probably not a lot beyond that. So it's what happens. You're right. You, good programs at home are going to win a lot. It's just, I, I said this the other day, name a Michigan State superstar, and they are wearing some L's in Mackey Arena. I mean, there's just nobody yeah. who's gone through it at MSU and just kind of, there's, there's no Kirk Cousins against Michigan stories. I'm on Michigan State, <laughs> right, you know, yeah. where you're four and zero over your career, and you can walk the streets, as he put it. That that doesn't exist. I mean, Magic Johnson <laughs> got beat by an Arnett Hallman jumper at the buzzer to lose at Macarena. If Irvin Johnson could take a loss, anybody can. And believe me, <laughs> he's pretty good. <laughs> they all have. Steve Smith, Sean Respert, Mateen Cleaves. I mean, go up and down the list. They've taken losses there. And, and so it's, it's just that kind of building, but, um, 
you know, I, I, I think that there's a chance Michigan state's got to have a lot of things go right, but none of it, as we're going to talk about, none of it is outside the realm of doable, you know, and yeah. they just need to play very well. They need to execute a little better than they did at Breslin. Yeah. Well, and I, again, it, just even when Michigan state is running at 19 and one, they've had seasons like this where they're, you know, just tearing everyone apart. You're just waiting for that game, right? That one game, someone gets you, whether it's at home yeah. or on the road, you, some, Absolutely. Just things just aren't going right. So, I mean, it doesn't mean it's going to be this game, but, but for sure, there's no way Purdue's, no, Purdue's not going 19 and one in the big 10. I don't think there's any question they're about over, that. They are absolutely overdue. When you have as many, if I were, if I were a fan of that team, you know, I would of course be Trump. Hey, we just know how to win. Okay. But, but the odds are when you play as many close games as they do, eventually you're going to get got and they will. Yep. It's just a matter of time playing the way that they have. The question is, yeah, who's it going to be? Can it be Michigan? You know, it is fair to note the one loss they've taken this year came at Mackey arena. That's where Rutgers beat them. So it is possible for them to lose on that court. And I think pretty clearly they're overdue. I I watched their game against Michigan last night. And uh, as you said, that was Michigan without jet Howard. And I won't say that it was, I don't say Purdue deserved to lose. They didn't. But that game was closer than it had any right to be given the circumstances, you know, and there've been a lot of those this year. So, you know, people will point out the fact that, you know, Zach obviously can't move and he's not going to be able to guard you out in the perimeter and have, he'll really struggle to pick and rolls for obvious reasons. So if you had a five who is either really good getting into going, driving, diving the basket, maybe, or someone who can hit from outside that that is the perfect Countermatch to Edie, and so Hunter Dickinson is a guy who can hit from outside. He can, you know, score inside and stuff. I'll admit I did not watch a, a second of that game, mostly because I was coming back from the Iowa game. Was he effective? Was is this is that is that someone who actually is like the kryptonite for Edie? In previous years, you could make that argument. I think last night only intermittently. Um, but you're right about the profile. I, I, I would say this. Um, I could look at a team like Illinois and say, you know, if Illinois were willing to play a lineup where, say, they played Colvin Hawkins a lot at the five and he had one of his games where he's dialed in, that's the kind of match. I mean, right. stretch fives are not a super common thing. Certainly not in the Big Ten. I mean, I'm I'm trying to as as we're talking, I'm going over it in my mind. I'm, you know, you know who is actually, and I haven't looked at the numbers. He mustn't have done that well. Um, but somebody like Dawson Garcia at Minnesota can actually shoot at some. That kind of player you would think would have success. If Michigan State could get away with playing Joey Hauser a lot at the five, that would be an example. I don't think they can. Um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, ideally if you've got a five, but I, you know, I I say all that and, and yet I don't think it needs to come down to it. I think what you need is you need to have an effective pick and roll game. You need to have a good screener that can for, and a good guard that can force a switch. That's really all you need to do. 
if you force a switch and he's got to guard a guard, that guard ought to be able to get a clean look. He's got to hit him, but he should be able to do right. that. You know, and and that's the mid range you're talking yeah, about, or, right? Because threes, you're either gonna have yeah, threes. You know, okay, sure, I mean, right. Look, Tyson Walker had a really good game. Now it wasn't all pick and roll, but you can get him in that kind of in that kind of action against Purdue, and he's going to have opportunities. AJ Hogard, those opportunities for those free throw line jumpers will be there, hundred percent. He's got to hit them. All right. Well, why don't we talk about the starters for Purdue? It hasn't changed much since we talked about him last. We'll begin with Braden Smith, the six-foot freshman guard, averaging a little under 10 points a game on 47, 44, and 91 shooting on relatively low volume for those threes, but almost pulling down five rebounds a game, considering he's a pretty small guy. Leads the team in assists with 87, which is 41 turnovers. It's probably not hard getting assists, just tossing into Zach Eady, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, look, he's had, a, he's had a really good season, certainly relative to expectations. Um, not a highly recruited guard, but obviously one of these guys, Matt Painter, you know, is an Indiana kid. Matt Painter saw a fit and he was right. Um, I'd say he's a little more of a pure point guard in terms of instincts than what they've typically rolled out there. Um, with their offense, you know, running the motion game, it doesn't necessarily require that, but I think Smith has some of those capabilities. Uh, Michigan State did a pretty good job, actually did a very good job with him in that game at Breslin. Um, he's a very efficient offensive player. As you said, the volume, especially as a deep shooter, is not high. So that 44% from three doesn't translate into doing as much damage as you might think. But the problem is you've still got to account for him. You know, he's a threat. So you can't just say, well, he doesn't take many threes and figure that he's not going to take threes if you leave him open. <laughs> right. So you've yeah. got to account for him. Um, I think for Michigan State, a big key, uh, they got him into foul trouble. That was the first thing in the first mm -hmm. half of that game at Breslin. That helped. But um, I think a big key for him dealing with him is much as it was in that game, I think you've got to make him feel pressure as a defender. And Michigan State has guards who have physical tools and skill sets that can do that. You know, you want to make him have to deny dribble penetration. Because I think that's where he's not, he's not an upper tier guy. So you've got to find ways to try and put him under pressure, take him out of the game. Yeah. And he, he definitely really struggled in East Lansing. Yeah. So it'd be nice if you could do that again, Tim. Second guard, Fletcher Lawyer. Brother of Foster Lawyer, former Spartan, six foot four freshman, so he's a little bigger than his brother, and he is really good. He's averaging thirteen points a game on thirty nine, thirty six, and eighty two shooting. Uh, doesn't rebound a whole lot, but I think there's no question. Without Fletcher Lawyer in that game, Purdue loses against Michigan State at East oh, absolutely. Lansing. Absolutely, he was the one. The last five, six, seven minutes yep. of the game, he really yep. took over in some respects, hit a couple big shots, and finished Michigan State. Yeah, and he's the guy who made a picture perfect entry pass to Edie for the game winner, right. which, you know, people who don't pay as much attention by the entry pass, who cares? Just flipping the ball in. No, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. You got to hit the guy where he wants the ball. And in that case, it was an end game situation. It needed to happen fast. 
And if you're not throwing the ball where Edie wants it, it's going to take him longer to get into his move and it might knock him off course. He might not be in his comfortable spot to take the shot or to make his move. It was perfect. And, and lawyers very good at those post entries. Um, you know, he's statistically, you look at his shooting profile. It's not the profile, but there's this feeling out there. And I understand why, because he seems to hit big shots, but there's this feeling like, oh my God, this is, you know, a Bryn Forbes, uh, you know, yeah, na- right. name the fantastic shooters of, of, uh, of big 10 history. He's 36% from three. That's not a bad shooter, but it's not like, oh God, every time he's launching, it's 50, 50 that he's going to hit it. It's not that. So I think what's, what's helped is that what you said he seems to get better in my observation. I will admit, I don't have the statistical basis for supporting this, but anecdotally, my impression has been, he seems to be a little better at winning time. He's, he's made big plays. He's made big shots when they've needed it. And again, as we talk about, they've been playing a lot of close games, but it's pretty remarkable that they've got a freshman who's playing that role, you know, but from what I've observed, he's a pretty cool customer for him to come into Breslin and not only not get rattled, but actually make big plays that won them that game hats off to him. I mean, that's, that's what you want. That's what you want is a guy when the pressure is on, he's not feeling it or not seemingly feeling it. If he was on Michigan State's team right now, he'd be fifth in three three point percent. Right, that's what I mean. He's he's a good shooter. <laughs> he's not a great one, but again, you you have to. He's good enough that you have to account for him, and that matters here for strategic yeah. reasons. And if it's a close game late, I, I don't feel comfortable seeing him rising up for an open three. Let's put it that way. No question. Yeah, he. The, mo- the moment does not seem to bother him as yep. much as it may have bothered someone like Sanford last exactly. night. Exactly. There, there's the contrast. So uh, next be Ethan Morton, 6'5", junior, averaging a little under four points a game, 2.8 rebounds a game in 26 minutes. Not a very good shooter. He shoots 30, 25, and 86. He's a great defender, and he'll usually go get checked on to whoever's hot for the moment, whether it's Aikens or... Hogard, he, I think they, or uh, even Walker, they tried him on Walker last game too to try and slow him down. 57 assists, 21 turnovers, so he he makes smart decisions. Yeah, he's kind of reverted back this year to what the book was on him when he came into the program. So his freshman year, he played a little bit, but really struggled as a shooter. Um, but they liked him defensively, and they liked him as a passer, as a playmaker. And then last year, I forget what his numbers were, but his three-point shooting numbers were much improved. I thought, oh, well, maybe he's developed. Well, this year, now as a starter, he's gone back down in that area. But the reason he's out there is his ability to defend a variety of players. And as 6'5", and decent athleticism, he's pretty clearly the best perimeter defender they have in this starting group, and probably their best overall. Brandon Newman could maybe make a case, but... Um, he's their best among the starters for sure. And as you say, he, 
They'll use him to guard a variety of players. And then he's a good decision maker. He's not going to make a lot of mistakes and he can find people as a passer. His size helps there as well. The problem he's got is shooting. And if you notice the way Michigan state played Purdue in that game at Breslin (laughs) is they did what we thought they would probably do, which is not help, not dig down against Zach Eady, except whomever the man was covering Ethan Morton would dig off him. And they suckered him into taking wide open threes. And I believe he was over three. Yeah, um, he and he one. wasn't close on any of them. So that's something to watch for again. If I'm playing, if I'm Michigan state, I'm playing this game. I'm very tempted to do the same thing. Make that guy prove that he's willing and able to hit a jumper. But that's not his primary role. He's in there to do other things. I'm guessing he's probably the one taking the shot if there are seven seconds left in the shot clock and he's wide open. He's going to take it at that, that point, but not probably earlier. Probably. You know, he's going to try yeah. to find someone else to take Although that it's shot. T- you know, look, it's tough. You know, I think, again, people think these are video games. It's real people. <laughs> if you're a competitive player, which anybody starting in the Big Ten is virtually by definition, if you're a competitor, You've played basketball your whole life. You're good enough to play at this level. It is a hard thing at any point in the shot clock to turn down a wide open shot where just nobody's within, you know, seven, eight feet of you. It's just a hard thing to do. You got to be really disciplined. And, you know, sometimes you're not. And if you're Michigan State, that's what you're hoping for is that you can you can get him to take a few more of those shots than he actually wants to, or would be wise for him to take. And then you hope that he actually shoots his percentage and he's not hitting. Right. Yeah. He gets lucky and gets wind or something and gets hot. Yeah, or something And like at that. home, you never know, but I still think going into the game, it's sound strategy. You help off him, you dig down off him and you let him take shots until he proves he can beat you on that given day. Next will be Caleb First. He's six ten sophomore, averaging 6.9 points a game, five rebounds a game, and shooting 53, 36, and 63. And he, interestingly, is the only player on the, of the starters for Purdue who Michigan State was trying to recruit. He's the only guy on their roster, period, I believe. I'm pretty sure <laughs> uh, he's the only guy on Purdue's roster that got an MSU offer. And, and that's not an indictment of Purdue's talent. What, what I think it highlights most of all is that the programs look for different things in players. So right. Matt Painter obviously has this model established. Now he likes gargantuan big men. He likes having a guy who just distorts the game in the post and kind of is the center of gravity in any game they're playing, you know, forces teams to have to adjust and do things they might not otherwise do. Right. That's a a profile type. And he doesn't care if that guy can't move. He's had God, he's had, I don't know how many years running now where he's had centers that are largely immobile. You know, even Trevion Williams, who wasn't a seven foot plus guy fit that mold. Zach Eady would never have been offered by Tom Izzo. Doesn't mean he's not a great player. It's just for what Michigan state values and what they want to do. It's not a good fit. Their, their guards, Smith and Lawyer, were not offered by MSU. Lawyer had a brother who played at MSU. He was a kid who spent his first two years in high school in Michigan. 
forget Michigan State not getting him. They never recruited him. They didn't offer him. He didn't fit the profile of what they typically look for in a wing. You know, doesn't mean he's not a very good player, but he's not a good fit for Michigan State. Conversely, Matt Painter can look at it and say, you know what? I think I can I can get enough out of him defensively. And I like guards with some size that are versatile, can do some different things. Definitely, I he prioritizes shot prioritizes shot makers um, over athletes. I mean, time has told us that, and mm-hmm. uh, and so it works. First is the exception, and I think you can see why, because he's six ten, he plays with an attitude, he plays with some toughness, but he's skilled, and he's also relatively mobile you know he's not he doesn't fit um the the purdue five man mold of a big man that can't extend if caleb first were the starting five man at purdue and he might be at some point in his career they could play pick and roll differently than we typically see you caleb first would not necessarily have to default to um sagging you know, to drop coverage, um, yeah. shacking, pick and rolls. You could allow him to maybe hedge more aggressively. I like him. I mean, he plays with a little bit of an edge, um, which is a good thing. He's competitive. He hit, uh, we talked about it in the post game, or that game at Breslin. Um, Michigan State had a sequence fairly late where, um, Tyson Walker went on that huge run at the end of the game and he hit a big three to put Michigan state up four. And it felt like, at least to me, it felt like, Ooh, that could be it. That could be the shot. Purdue came right down and within maybe 10 seconds, something they don't typically do take a quick shot. Caleb first nailed a three to bring it back to one. I thought quietly it it got lost in some of the other stuff that happened even after that, but quietly that was one of the biggest shots of the game because it it came from a guy who doesn't take a ton of them. He's relatively efficient, you know, 36%, not a bad shooter, but he doesn't take a ton of them. He plays more often. He plays inside the arc. So for him to step up and hit that shot, it was a baseline three from the corner um, was a big moment. And he was totally comfortable and confident taking that shot and he nailed it. So he's a good player. I, I certainly, um, you know, he's one of the guys Michigan state's lost to Purdue. They generally speaking, Izzo's won more than he's lost in terms of recruiting battles between these two. Um, but that's one you would like to have back. Cause I think first a good player and I think he's only going to get better. So finally, Zach Eady, seven foot four junior, National Player of the Year contender, and it's hard to imagine he won't win Big Ten Player of the Year unless something happens. Well, yeah. The one thing I would say is I still think he's the favorite because in part the stats and in part because of what his team's doing, which usually weighs in. Yeah. But Trace Jackson Davis is starting to make a run. Now, we'll see if he can keep it up, but he's he's the one guy that I think at this point might be able to gum up the works for Edie, but I, I would agree he's still the favorite. Yeah. And, you know, to that point, they play each other two times a season. So it's probably going to be a little bit what happens when they, that'll when they be match a big up factor. Each other, yes. Influence on the Big Ten. Uh, so, yeah, averaging 21.4 points a game, 13 rebounds a game, 
and gets two blocks, shoots 61% from the floor, 74% from the line, which uh, he was really good against Michigan State. He averages a lot of free throws. He only about two and a half turnovers a game, which is not terrible considering how often he sees the ball. So against Michigan State, he was 13 of 26 from the field, so actually below average. He only had 32 points and 17 rebounds, two blocks, uh, and hit six of seven from the line. I mean, he was he was a world beater against Michigan State. I guess, you know, you watch at some point, it's your pick your poison and how much you think it's okay for him to get. And, and you know, that's obviously what every team has to deal with when it comes to Zach Eady. You know, the thing is, though, 13 for 26. Mm. I think the the big thing was that he was able to go six for seven at the line. And you have to factor that in as well. But how he performed from the floor, you know, I I thought Michigan State did okay. And it's it's a what people have to understand is you can't get caught up on oh, Zach Eady went for 30 plus. It kind of doesn't matter so much. It that matters if they're also getting production elsewhere. But if it's a function of a strategic decision to allow him to basically go one-on-one without providing a lot of defensive help and you just live with the results, then that's something else. And that truly was the equation in that first game. Yes, Zach Eady had big numbers. I did not think Zach Eady destroyed Michigan State by any means. I thought they did a credible job against him, given the circumstances. Um, I would take that kind of performance again. Honestly, I would. Uh, Because I think there are other things Michigan State can do if that were to happen that would change the outcome. You know, if they played a little better offensively, for example. Um, But, yeah, look, all that aside, he's having a great season. He's a player that distorts the game because when he gets the ball in certain spots on the floor, it's over. There's just but that that game winning bucket that he scored, right? It was over. There was nothing you could do. Once he got the ball that deep and was able to go into his move unimpeded, it was over. You're just not going to stop him. And there aren't a lot of guys, not really any guys on his level at, in college that you could say that about. He is what he is. He's a matchup nightmare. Uh, but like anything, your greatest strength is oftentimes your greatest weakness too, right? It, it, in in this instance, his size is his greatest strength, but it also, because it plays into his ability to move, it's also his greatest weaknesses. He can't extend defensively out of the floor, so he is vulnerable. You know, yeah. Th- This is why when we were talking about the different ways that these programs recruit, Tom Izzo values guys who can move, guys who have the ability to get out on the floor and guard someone. And that doesn't mean that every single player he recruits is just fantastic on that level. You know, Jackson Kohler obviously proves that. But whatever Jackson Kohler's issues are, he has the potential to get better, whereas someone like Zach Eady, I don't think he can get much better in that respect. That's kind of baked in because of his size. You know, he's just never going to be able to do a whole hell of a lot to change that. And so it, 
that affects how the teams play. It affects the guys they want to recruit. It's not a right or wrong necessarily. It's just reflective of different approaches to the game. All right. So let's talk about the reserves. We'll start with Mason Gillis, six foot eight junior started earlier this year, but he's now no longer first. It's Caleb first. who's taken his spot. He's averaging five and a half points a game and 3.4 rebounds a game, shooting 42, 31 and 86. Uh, and he is just not shooting as well, which is probably part of the reason he's no longer in the starting role. Yeah, I mean, he hit a three against Michigan State at the game, Breslin. Well, right. <laughs> um, yeah. But his numbers, he's he's backslid. Last year, he was a very good shooter. This year, he's not. Um, he's still a guy who I like. I think he brings some things to the table. He's a good athlete, even though he's not shooting consistently well. He's a threat. So a valuable reserve to have. I mean, he allows, you know, the big thing for Purdue is if they choose to, they don't always choose to because Edie played, God, how many minutes did Edie play that first game? Was it like 37? 36 minutes. Yeah, it was crazy. 36 minutes. Yeah, almost. He averages 31, right. so he was um, above his average. If Purdue chooses to, they're deep enough in the post that they can keep guys somewhat fresh. You know, and Gillis is part of that. For sure, because even though he's a reserve and he's not shooting the ball as well as he has, that's a that's a Big Ten starter caliber player in most respects. Next would be Brandon Newman, six six junior, was in the rotation last season, but kind of just found it found his way out of it. He's averaging six point three points a game on thirty nine, thirty four, and seventy eight shooting. Grabs about three rebounds a game in seventeen minutes. He was out of the rotation at the end of last year, and as I said before the last game, credit to him for sticking with it, not hitting the portal. And he's found himself back in a key role. He's not starting, you know, the freshman beat him out, but um, he's still finding ways to contribute. Uh, good, you know, decent shooter, not a great one, but he's a good athlete, has good size and length at 6'6". That enables him to be a pretty effective defender. And again, he's enough of a scoring threat that you got to account for him. So he's having a nice year as a role player. Trey Kaufman Wren, 6'8", freshman, uh, Richard freshman. He was uh, not, he's not been playing great, I guess is probably the easiest way to describe it. 5.1 points a game and 2.3 rebounds in 13 minutes, shooting 48, 21, 59. And there was a noticeable drop when he came in the game. Michigan State was able to attack him and, and actually get him in foul trouble for yep. a few minutes as he played in that game. He only played four minutes and picked up three fouls and Kohler just chewed yep. him up. And he's, he's kind of settled into this. He doesn't exclusively play the five, but he's he's been typically the guy. Either either he's in in uh, in relief, or he might come into the game and first might technically slide over to the five. But um, he has played a lot of five, and he's also played some four. Big time talent. I mean, he was he was the headline recruit of last year's freshman class, and um, I believe it was a Purdue Indiana battle in the end. And it was considered a big recruiting win, you know, despite the quality of Purdue's program over the years, typically, you know, Matt painter is not getting headline guys. He's not getting a lot of McDonald's all Americans. Kaufman Wren was one of the highest ranked guys that he's gotten in recent years. Um, he redshirted last year because they had a lot of depth inside. And I guess first kind of jumped him in the rotation, but playing his first playing time taking place this year as a redshirt freshman. 
and he's been okay. He's just, I think they thought he would shoot better. So that's been a bit of a struggle, but that happens sometimes to guys playing their first year. Um, what's been surprising to me is I guess I've looked at him and I, in, in the times that I've watched him and his statistical profile backs this up to some extent, I haven't seen what his strength is. I haven't seen a thing that you could look at and say, all right, that, that translates into eventually being a, a major impact guy. He's just got to grow. I, I haven't, I haven't seen what that thing is. He's, he doesn't look strong enough yet. He doesn't look like he's a great athlete and I haven't seen evidence of super skill, not a bad player. I just, I haven't seen the things that would suggest, you know, would be suggested of a guy who was ranked where he was. Yeah. He's only four of 19 from three and, and then so low volume, but still averaging a shot a game considering he's only hit four of them all season. Next is, and finally is David Jenkins, who ended up playing a lot in the mission in the game in East Lansing. He played 19 minutes. He's a six, one senior transfer from Utah, averaging a little over three points a game in 15 minutes, shoots 32, 29 and 69. His only stat line from the game against Michigan state was uh, a missed three and an assist. And a foul. This, this would be, you know, we talked about Ethan Morton as a guy that Michigan state came off. Um, Jenkins would be another guy. He'd be the only other guy in that five man perimeter group that I would say, all right, if he's on the floor, you can probably dig and, and help off him and, and live with the consequences. You know, he just hasn't shot it very well. The fort, they're really fortunate because, you know, they recruited him, I think, to be kind of a caretaker at one of those guard spots, like a start, a guy who comes mm-hmm. in and starts for a year. If they had had to roll with him, I think this would have been a very different Purdue team. If it had had to have been him and Newman, the fact that their freshmen have emerged the way that they have has a ton to do, probably more to do in totality with their success than Zach Eady, in my opinion. It's really under-discussed because Purdue would be in a world of hurt if those guys were playing as to the level that would have been expected of them, neither of them are marquee recruits uh, and freshmen, you know, so it's been a lifesaver. <laughs> All right. Well, why don't we step away for just a moment for a word from our sponsor and we'll come back with our nudge printing keys to the game. There's no I in team, but there is one in indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's Indeed.com slash sports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, our five keys to the game brought to you by Nudge Printing. Number one, defending Zach Eady. Uh, you know, 
the Michigan State last game, well, we've talked about it a number of times. They, you know, they came off of Morton when he was to double off of him. Otherwise, they would dig when they had a chance to, to if they could jump back real quickly. And I feel like the the key with him really is just keeping him, not allowing him to get a, a catch inside ten feet because otherwise, I mean, you're pretty much just dead. One hundred percent. And so that there's a number of things that go into that. First, your guys are having to to try and do that push a guy off the blocks who probably weighs 300 plus. I mean, Zach Eadie's in good shape, sure. but on a seven, four frame, you can pretty easily weigh. And, and he's not slight, you know, if you look yeah. at his lower body, especially this is not a slight guy. So that requires a lot of work <laughs> and, you know, body Sissoko physically is maybe up to that task. The two freshmen less so. But somehow, yeah. some way, you've got to find a way to get him off his spots. And then on top of that, you got to find a way to do it without getting fouls called. And that's the hard part. I thought Michigan State did a pretty good job in the first game. Again, 13 for 26 from the floor. That's not a disaster. You did some good work. Kid missed 13 shots in that game. And a lot of it was because Michigan State had him shooting from spots on the floor he didn't really want to be shooting from, you know, where he wasn't completely comfortable. So easier said than done, but that's what you've got to do. That's the challenge. Get him off those spots without fouling. Um, strategically, yeah. just as we said it was in the first game, a lot of the story of this one will be about how does Michigan state opt to defend him? It's I've, I've used this analogy that in every game he plays Zach Eady is like the largest planetary or solar body <laughs> on the floor because <laughs> everything else is going to be in gravitation around him. You have to deal with him and how you choose to deal with him affects everything else you do. I would hope, and I would think that Michigan state's approach will be similar to what it was the last game. You, you help off him when you have a favorable matchup. So whomever's guarding Mort, if Jenkins is on the floor, whoever's guarding him, those guys can dig more aggressively to try and disrupt Edie. But you also have to know Purdue is aware of this. So largely, they're going to try to avoid having Zach Edie on the same side of the lane as Morton or Jenkins because it makes it much harder for MSU to send help if, if it's lawyer or it's Smith or it's Newman on that side, making the entry pass. So that's the chess match, but I would expect Michigan state will employ a similar strategy. It's what I would do. Um, Cause especially at home, you don't, even though this is not a good three point shooting team from Purdue statistically, you just at home, you just do not want to give these guys open look after open look. That is playing with fire. And I think you you go against ED one-on-one and you live with it as long as you're holding down what they do from three. Last game, Purdue only attempted 10 threes. That's the number you want to see, something like that. Well, and you know, it's interesting. I was just looking over the season stats for Zach Eady. His lowest field goal per- output, it was, um, well, he's 50% against Michigan State. His next loss was uh, 47.8 against Minnesota back in December 4th. 
And then he had a sub 50% performance the very first game against Milwaukee, uh, I don't know, Wisconsin, maybe I'm not sure what he is, but yeah. Uh, you know, he's always like 60 to 70% almost every game. So it's well, yeah, to hold him to 50% 61, was actually a huge win. He's 61% on the season. So there haven't been many. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, that's what I, say. I think, I think the proof is there. Mich- Michigan state did not lose that game because of their defensive approach. It was sound and they executed it reasonably well. Uh, so the number two key to the game threes Michigan state was uh, okay. Six for 19, not too great. Uh, so they're going to have to probably shoot better than that. And they're going to, cause that's the way, I mean, that's you, you can definitely give it more Zach ED twos. If you're hitting threes, that's the argument you're trading threes for twos, right? Um, We've said all year long, threes are an integral part of what Michigan State does. You need look no further back than the Iowa game last night, as we're recording this on Friday, for proof of this. Michigan State did a lot of things, you know, not extremely well in that game. But eight for 20 from three covered up some other sins. Mm -hmm. Yep. And for this team, the way they're built, look, we I'm not telling anybody things they don't already realize. <laughs> Michigan State does not have a consistent, reliable post threat. Malik Hall is going to help him a little bit in that area, but he's still, we're not talking about prime Zach Randolph here. You know, <laughs> right. they don't have that to call on. They don't have, you know, Hogard is the one exception, but they don't have a team full of guys that really attack the basket consistently and either convert at the rim or draw fouls. Michigan state struggles to get to the line a lot typically. Um, so if threes aren't there for them and, and also they're not a, they're not a great transition team. They're not scoring a ton on the break. So if threes are not a big part of the equation, it's hard for them to generate enough offense to win. That's just reality. So if they can't be more productive in this game than they were the game of Breslin, it's going to be very tough to win. They have to, they have to, and I'm not saying they got to shoot 50%, but they've got to be effective. They've got to be efficient. They've got to be effective to a better extent than they were in that first meeting. That's just how it is. The number three key to the game, the mid range. This is where Tyson Walker went to town against Purdue in East Lansing. You know, you got to hit those, as you mentioned, the drop coverage from Edie. You're going to have those shots and you have to make them pay to, because they're going to be open. Tyson Walker being one, AJ Hogard being the other. And then, Akins you know, Jaden Akins yeah. will get some of those looks as well. But the bottom line is you have to make Purdue pay for what they can't do. And what they can't do is prevent those shots from being available. They cannot do it. So if that's the case, you've got to make them pay. And Michigan State didn't do that quite well enough in that first game. Number four key to the game, A.J. Hogard. He has not played as well, and I think it's evidenced probably best by the fact his free throw shooting has gone from almost 90%. He's now down to barely over 80% from the line. And I think it's sort of emblematic of sort of where he's been as far as, you know, locked in or whatever you want to say. Yeah, and, and look, guys go through this. I don't know that all oh, I'm pointing to any one thing. Um, you know, the story last night was 
after after the game, he went back out on the floor at Breslin and shot free throws. He was very upset at himself for missing that one. And rightly so. You know, he's a good free throw shooter who would expect to hit those free throws in that situation. And he did. Um, and he missed it badly, too. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't like it went in and out. It was. It Looked barely like one grazed of the rim. Looked like one of mine. Yeah. But it's more than that. That's a minor element to me, even though it seemed like a big moment in that game. And it was. It's a bigger problem than that. I, I don't think he's been as locked in. He hasn't been as dynamic as Michigan State needs him to be. Now, give him credit for what he was part of defensively last yes, night. Right, right. Because right. he was part of shutting off Chris Murray. He and Malik Hall really did the bulk of the heavy lifting in that area. So he did contribute there. But Michigan State needs the locked in AJ Hogard. They need the AJ Hogard who's got eight assists versus one turnover. They need the A.J. Hogard who's finishing plays at the rim, which he really struggled to do against Iowa. Um, that's what they need. And they haven't been getting that at the same level over the last three to four games as they were prior um, in the season. And that needs to change starting Sunday. I have a hard time envisioning a Michigan State win if A.J. Hogard does not play well. Yeah, no, I think you're totally right. Finally, the boards. Michigan State did really well against Purdue. They held them down to, what, 27% offensive rebounding percentage rate, which is one of the best offensive rebounding teams in the country. Uh, They were the first then, and then I think we knocked them down a little bit since then. Uh, So you got to do it again. And so, of course, number one is Zach Eady. You've got to prevent him from getting his own misses. That's where he he goes to town and really just beats you up. Look, it's... it's... (laughs) It's pretty simple. If Purdue's getting a lot of second chances, and in particular, if it's Zach Eady getting them, he's likely getting them right around the rim. Zach Eady's not getting a ton of range rebounds where he's out corralling it, you know, 15 feet from the basket. He's getting them right at the rim, which means the odds of him converting a second chance are very high. Um, Michigan State did great work on the defensive boards. I mean, they had back-to-back games against Illinois and against Purdue where I thought they were outstanding on the defense against really good offensive rebounding teams. They were, they were just great. Since then it's been less impressive. Rutgers absolutely destroyed them. Indiana and Iowa didn't destroy them, but they performed maybe a little better than you would have liked them to. This is a different challenge. This is, as you said, they were at, at the point MSU played them the first time. They were number one in the country. They've since slid to number four in large part because of the job MSU did in that game. But they got to do it again. Um, if you're giving up second chances to Purdue, it's over. You, you can't win that way, you know. You, so it's going to be a very difficult task, I think. One of the bits of good news coming out of the Iowa game is that Madi Sissoko certainly had his best rebounding effort in a while. Yep. That's going to be critical. He has to be an impact guy on the defensive boards. Whatever MSU gets done offensively, that's great. But to me, job one is clear your defensive glass. Do that, you got a chance. Yeah, and the... One thing that's not a key, and this, so you know, in all my wisdom, I said, well, for sure, when Hall comes back, they're going to play him like 
oh, maybe 10, 12 minutes. And then the next yeah. game, they'll play about 18. And then they're going to work them up to 20 something. I'm pretty confident about that. Uh, yeah, I was totally wrong. So he came out. I think the intention was not to play as many minutes as he did, but the. the it wasn't. The uh, sort of the situation and the way the game was going, the, he felt like he had to play more. And I think he felt okay playing. So he ended up playing 25 minutes. He wasn't there for the game in East Lansing. And we've seen, <laughs> I don't know how many more times we need to see it. He is a, an integral part of the, both the offensive and the defensive end. He just changes the way the team runs. They seem more in control in general on both ends of the floor when he's out there. Just a sort of calming presence because he can get his own basket sometimes or whatever. I mean, how much does his his presence in this game change, you know, either the outcome at East Lansing, but how does it how does it affect this game and how Michigan State may defend or attack Purdue def- uh, offensively? It can't. It, there's no way it can't help them, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and look, Michigan State, without Hall, but with an up-to-speed Jaden Akins, was, in my opinion, a pretty good defensive team. You know? But with Hall, I think they can be better than that. He, Purdue, it's interesting because as opposed to Iowa, this isn't a game where you look at it and you feel like, oh, this is one where we really need Malik Hall. Or, or say the, the Illinois game was one yeah, where right. I think they needed him, and then when they didn't have him, it hurt them. Purdue does not have that kind of personnel. You know, they're, they're big. Their three-man in the starting lineup is Morton, who's not an offensive threat. Right. They're four guys. I think first is a very good player, and Gillis can make plays too at times, but those aren't guys that you expect are going to go out and just take over a game. So it's not that kind of situation, but man, we heard it from Mike Garland back in December when Malik was still out of the lineup that the the thing about having Malik call available is it's not even just what he's doing individually. It's the knock on effect. It's that your other guys don't have to help as much as they do if it's somebody else out there. Um, Conversely, Malik is capable of helping more than somebody else would be in his spot. It's why individual defensive metrics aren't great at capturing the full picture yet and may never be able to get there. It's a difficult thing because it's very hard to measure, in my opinion, it's very hard to measure those kinds of impacts they're so subtle and yet when you watch the team this is where you know the the much maligned eye test comes in (laughs) you cannot watch michigan state and help but reach the conclusion that they're better with him you know it's pretty obvious so i think it i think it helps in that way having malik should help in terms of the defensive rebounding effort Okay, so that's important. Very important thing in this game. Offensively, it does give Purdue something else to think about. Michigan State, I'm trying to remember, was that, was was Purdue the game that, Purdue was the game that Carson Cooper got some things done, right? I think so. That wasn't Jackson Kohler's big breakout. Well, Kohler got some stuff done against, uh, Kohler, uh, Kohler had two points. Cooper had two. They both were one for one. Cooper had a couple of rebounds. Yeah, so 
Michigan State really didn't have any kind of serious interior presence in that game. But we know that Malik Hall is capable of giving them at least a little something. We saw glimpses of it against Iowa. Yep. So that's going to be something different that Purdue didn't have to deal with in the first game. Um, Malik is also a shooting threat. You know, he doesn't take a lot of them, but he's a threat when he's out there. He can he could just score in different ways, and he he gives them different capabilities than anybody else. I I keep going back to that first basket he had against Iowa. Michigan State doesn't have anybody else who makes that play, where he just pivots and you know puts the defender in the spin cycle and hits a mid range jumper. Yeah, that's a pro move. Michigan State doesn't have anybody who makes that move. When you've got someone who's capable of doing that, that puts additional stress on the defense. Somebody for Purdue's got to deal with that. So I do think it changes the dynamic. Um, How much remains to be seen? I don't think, as I say, I don't think this is a game where you look at Malik's presence and you say, well, obviously he makes a huge defensive difference because they've got that guy who's 6'8 and mobile and MSU doesn't have anybody else other than Malik who can really guard that kind of player, at least not easily. Um, this isn't that kind of game. But in these more subtle ways, could he affect the outcome? Absolutely. Yeah, you can definitely see him, if nothing else, being a real a, very challenging for Purdue now. They're not going to be able to uh, be as effective out on the perimeter against uh, Walker and Hogard because they're going to be forced to deal with him. Uh, it, it just, yeah, it creates more stress for them to deal with because it's another capable player they have to guard. Uh, and, you know, the other thing was Pierre Brooks was pretty, he was pretty much a disaster in that game. He was bad defensively. He missed all his three-point attempts or that were all wide open. You know, I I think you're going to see you're going to see him play some minutes for sure. I, I expect you're going to have some more foul problems this game just because he's on the road probably going to see some Cooper and Kohler as well a little bit more than the first time potentially. So I don't know. I mean, I think there are a lot of other sort of other variables and I, and I'm encouraged by how Brooks looked the last time. I think Cooper and Kohler have been progressing a little bit better. And this is obviously not a game where you're going to expect them to do a whole lot offensively, but can they survive long enough against Edie? You know, you never know. I mean, what, one thing I will say about Jackson Kohler is Jackson Kohler has the ability to hit a 10 foot jumper. I mean, he does. And Michigan State's other two big men, you don't really want taking that shot. Yeah, right. And that is a shot that can be available against Edie. Um, yeah, I mean, some of those young guys may be able to play a role. I, I think actually, and it kind of at least in an indirect way, plays into the discussion about those guys who are deeper in the rotation. I didn't mention it as one of the five keys, but it almost goes without saying. It matters a lot how this game is called. A lot. Yeah. You know, Purdue is a very physical team, and yet they don't get called for a lot of fouls. It's it's the old thing, and Purdue's played this way for a long time, and it's not new to them. But this year especially, it really is reminiscent to me of what Wisconsin got away with for years. Just playing with a lot of physicality, but being able to get away with it. And look, if the officials don't call it, hey, more power to you. Why wouldn't you continue doing that? You know, there's been a lot of focus on Zach Eady and the fact that he doesn't get called for fouls. The fact that he never got called for a foul that game at Breslin was unreal because (laughs) there were at a minimum three that I saw 
that were obvious and should have been called. And the hook hold. <laughs> that was one. And there was a the play where Tyson Walker inexplicably got called for a foul. Oh, right, um, yeah. There was a play where he discarded Mati Sissoko with his off arm. And you could have even theoretically, you could have called one on the game winning basket. You could have called an offensive foul. I've seen guys get called for that exact move. He extended his off arm and cleared space that, that could have been called. Um, and I'm not saying this to preemptively blame the officiating, but it does matter if, if Michigan state is allowed to be reasonably physical with him in fighting him on the blocks. Well, then they they're given a fighting chance. If they're calling touch fouls, if they're calling quickly, they're not letting Michigan state fight for position. It could be a long day. Yeah. You know, um, and that's just one spot. I mean, this goes the way the game is called in general. I expect it to be a physical game. If the officials let them play that way. Okay. That's one thing. If they're calling touch fouls, it's probably not going to be good for Michigan state because the games at Mackey and generally speaking, a close whistle is going to favor the home team. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, I think we'll wrap it up there. Again, I'd encourage you to go to nudge printing, go to nudgeprinting.com. You can enter in the coupon code final four to get 20% off your order for cool Spartan gear. Uh, and then Michigan state will be back after that matchup against number one, Purdue in West Lafayette on Sunday. So until next time, the final four is now on the schedule. Go green. At Granger, we're for the ones who pay attention to every little detail. The ones who fuss, tinker, and sweat the small stuff. Because you know the tiniest thing can make the biggest difference when it comes to keeping business moving. We get it. We're the same way. Offering access to product experts to help you quickly and easily find what you need. So whatever your industry, you know you're always getting professional-grade products. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.